0: The challenges in our space are always speed and scale. We're a really big company, we make a lot of products. The challenges in the material space and even in the extended supply chain are real. They're not trivial, those goals are not easy to achieve. And so the challenges for us become, can you find solutions that are impactful at scale and can you scale them fast enough? That will always be a challenge, I think, for any company of our size, but again, having the innovation engine that we have is a real advantage.
1: This is episode number 144 with Noel Kinder. On this episode of Transform Talks, I'm joined by Noel Kinder, who's the Chief Sustainability Officer at Nike. Now, Noel says he has the most fun job at Nike, and I would probably agree, given that he oversees sustainability initiatives across the entire enterprise. In this podcast, Noel breaks down his role and discusses the 13 specific targets that Nike has set to meet on sustainability. So, How does it all come together with a company of the sheer scale of Nike, especially given that Noel points out that the most significant challenges are speed and scale. However, Noel does state that a lot of the success Nike has seen has come down to the high levels of employee passion for sustainability, and this spurs the engine of creative innovation even when aiming for strict sustainability metrics. Every primary function and its respective leadership are aware of these metrics. Moreover, department heads tirelessly work on the metrics that they have an impact on. Now, Noel credits this to a superior level of accountability from a performance management standpoint. Throughout this episode, Noel gives us key details on specific changes Nike has made to reduce its carbon footprint. And he also tells us how collaboration has been key in solving the sustainability challenge. Let's listen. Hi, Noel. Thanks so much for joining us on Transform Talks. Thanks for being here. Hey,
0: thanks for having me. Nice to see you, Marie.
1: So why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and who you are and what we're going to be talking about today.
0: Yeah, you bet. I am the chief sustainability officer for Nike, which means that I have the most fun job at the company in my view. I am responsible for all things sustainability across the enterprise. So everything from advanced innovation to the way we create product to the way that we move it around the planet and ultimately how it is sold to our consumers either online or directly in a Nike store or even with some of our retail partners.
1: Well, that sounds pretty cool. I've got to say that does sound pretty cool. But when I was reading up on, I mean, everybody knows Nike and and you and I, before we started to roll, I was telling you stories without giving dates away of my first Nikes and I can remember them and I can remember Nike's shoes when I was on my varsity basketball team. By the way, did you see that I had to put in there that I was on the varsity basketball team? Um, But anyway, so we all know Nike. But what's interesting when I was reading up on before the interview was to understand what I saw that. Nike's been embracing environmental and social impact reporting for over 20 years now or something like that?
0: Yeah, that's right. In fact, this is the 20th anniversary of our Nike impact report. It's gone by a couple different names over the years, but the one that we released about a month ago is our 20th. Wow. And so yeah, we built a pretty strong foundation of, of reporting and consider that to be our public report card of the commitments that we make in my space every five years and obviously in, in purpose more broadly. So diversity, equity, inclusion, community investment, that that's a report card of record, if you will.
1: And so what's the stuff that you've been doing? What keeps you busy? What have you been doing to try to make this such a top priority in the agenda for Nike?
0: Yeah, well, like I said, it's the most fun job that certainly I've ever had. I think it's the most fun job in the company because it's got such breadth. Sustainability is impacted by every aspect of the operation from, like I said, advanced innovation and product design all the way through to ultimately how products show up at retail. And so you have to get really specific about what you want to achieve. And like you mentioned, we've been at this for 20 plus years. And so when I came into this role about three years ago, a little over three years ago, we were just starting to, to look at sunsetting our 2020 targets so the period from 2015 to 2020 and those kind of aspirational goals we were getting to the end of that period so that i had the great fortune of being in the position of thinking through what came next we used a couple different frameworks to do that and frankly a period of about 18 months to work within the organization to determine what did come next and and we started with the anchor point of the science around climate change. In 2016, 2017, we committed to support the Paris Climate Accords, which obviously is a a pretty major milestone for the planet and a really important aspect of the work that we do because it is rooted in the science. So that was anchor point number one. But of course, we have a, a footprint that spans beyond just a carbon footprint. We create waste. Our industry uses a lot of water. We have chemistries that we need to be mindful of that go into our products. And we have an entire supply chain, both on the manufacturing side and the distribution side that impacts a lot of people around the world. With those kind of five impact areas in mind and that anchor point of the science-based targets, we developed our 13 enterprise targets. And so to your point, that Nike impact report that came out a month or so ago is the, the year one evaluation of how we've done against those targets. And we have 13 targets. And we really tried to operationalize them.
1: That is a huge point because there's a lot of talk about sustainability, but not a lot of talk about actually operationalizing sustainability.
0: That's right. Yeah, and I think because I come from an operational background, that was really the mindset that I brought to this. I, 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 Like you said, I've been at Nike for a long time. I'll be hitting 23 years this September. And most of my experience has been in product creation, contract manufacturing, living in that operational space. And so when I came into this role, it was we collectively decided it was really with the intention to operationalize sustainability, or as one of our executives says, to deputize the company in service of the goals that we put out there. And so we we took those 13 enterprise targets, really took a quantitative approach to them. Those 13 enterprise targets are comprised of 80-some targets below them that are distributed throughout the organization. And in effect, what it means is that everybody who leads a major function of the company and their direct leadership teams know what their contributions are in order for us to achieve those broader uh, enterprise level targets. That to me is really what it, what operationalizing sustainability is about because then you're holding yourself accountable from a performance management standpoint alongside things like price and quality and delivery. Sustainability becomes coequal with those as well. The other thing that, that we did when I first stepped into this role was back to that point about deputizing the company, was reshape the way that the sustainability was organized within the company. So for a long time, we had effectively two components of sustainability. We had a a really strong, very large team in the contract manufacturing space, including really big footprints in our uh, offices out throughout the world who work with our manufacturing partners. And then we had a central innovation function, if you will. When I came into this role, I felt it was really important to pair that quantitative operational approach to sustainability with what somebody recently called a federated approach to the organization. So integrating sustainability leadership throughout the company. So rather than having one central function that, that I lead, I have a, a broad team, 25, 26 people, but they sit with the major functions of the company. So for example, the woman that leads sustainable product for us actually hard lines into the chief design officer. She thought lines into me, and, and, and we manage that relationship together. But that embedding allows them to work more closely with the teams that are actually making the decisions that, that ultimately result in us achieving our targets or not.
1: Well, that's an important point, because otherwise, sustainability is that other guy's problem, right? That Noel guy's problem, and his department is dealing with it, and, oh, man, he bugs me, and there we go, and that's that. Whereas this way, actually, people within their organization actually embedded into, deep into the company are leading change, right?
0: That's right. That's exactly right. And I think what's great is that because we've been on this journey for so long, we have this great foundation of commitment to sustainability, progress against it, and the tailwind or the accelerant of just people's passion around it. One of the things that's a huge advantage for me is just the the passion and energy that our employees have around sustainability. So when you take that embedded offense, the, the really clear objectives that we have around sustainability... And couple that with the fact that even if people don't have sustainability in their titles, they can go to that leader within their specific function and say, "Hey, what what can I do to help?" and, and orient themselves around the commitments that we've already made.
1: Already, I've picked up quite a lot of tips here because, in, in all seriousness, I mean, a lot of people talk about sustainability, but. And they have great intentions, but it seems to fail, and probably because it's a centralized function. So the idea of embedding people within the functions in their businesses—that's pretty pretty great. And actually having clear mandates and clear objectives, and committing to quite a lot. I mean, you guys have committed to sixty-five reduction, sixty-five percent reduction in scope one and two emissions, and thirty percent reduction in scope three emissions by twenty thirty, which is around the corner so how are you going about doing that?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Those are seriously ambitious targets, as you might expect. and and But they're the right targets, particularly the, the Scope 3 emissions, because that's really rooted in our science-based target, right? So there was really no major discussion about what that target should be, right? We believe in the science, we've committed to the Paris climate course, ergo, that's our target. But to your point, the how you get there becomes really tricky, particularly for a company of, si- uh, of our size and, and complexity of supply chain. And so if you take a step back and you just focus on carbon for a second, 80-ish percent of our carbon footprint comes from the materials that go into our products and the energy that it takes to convert those materials to finished goods. And so that's where the innovation engine that we have as a company becomes really important and a huge asset to me in this role is that we can put our shoulder against some of the bigger culprits of, of carbon footprint in our material space and use that innovation engine to generate alternatives to it. So I actually, I won't show you, but I'm wearing the Space Hippie product today. And I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's this otherworldly looking piece of footwear that was launched, oh, probably 18 months ago. And the design team in the innovation space kind of used the premise that they wanted to make the lowest carbon footprint shoe that they had ever made. And they really quickly realized that the key ingredient to doing that was using waste as a feedstock. And so they used recycled post industrial. So factory floor waste, um, to feed into, to the material, to the bottom unit of that shoe. They were able to figure out how to use post consumer waste to formulate the upper. They joke that their original color of the upper was lint. (laughs) You either had dark lint or light lint. They've obviously figured out the color equation now, but. Having the power of that creativity and and the innovation thinking is really important because when so much of your carbon footprint sits in that material space, you've really got to lean into it. The other component that, that we use that's a big lever is the relationship that we have with our manufacturing partners. Many of them have, we've had relationships for a really long time. In fact, I think 80-ish percent of our products are made by partners that we've had relationships with for 15 years or more. So we have a really strong foundation uh, of longevity and partnership with them. Interestingly, about the time that we were forming our our 2025 targets and and starting to talk through with them, like what would that require from their operations and how do we work together? One of them came to us and said, hey, we really want to do our own science-based target. Fast forward, we help them figure out with the science-based target initiative how that would work for them. because It's a little bit different equation for a, a single point manufacturer than it is for a big company like Nike. Fast forward to today, and we have now have a group called the Supplier Climate Action Program, where our biggest strategic suppliers are either committed to science-based targets or getting to that point of commitment. And so we're able to leverage even that extended supply chain to lean in and help us lower that footprint, not only in manufacturing, but in, in their use of materials, the technology that they use to make the products. And so we're trying to use all of the levers available to us to, to lower that footprint. It, it's complex and those targets are ambitious, but I think at least on the materials front and with those partnerships, we've got a fighting chance.
1: So what was that name of that uh, tennis shoe you weren't going to show me? What's the name? The hippie?
0: the space hippie
1: space hippie okay i'm gonna have to look that up Dude, there's actually a cool behind the scenes video on youtube well i'm definitely going to be looking that up. so let's go back to the ambitious targets that you've set have there been any stumbling blocks have there been any big issues that you've had to overcome to try to get these ambitious targets over the line and to get the to galvanize the whole business behind you in this despite the passion What's really interesting
0: is that I think we've reached this perfect storm around sustainability and climate change. Just the work in an office environment, went home for the pandemic, right, and and worked via Zoom far more than I personally wanted to. What we started to notice was a shift in our consumer base. You know, our consumer base is is Gen Z and millennial and completely overgeneralizing, but you take the point. And what we started to hear was their passion and their expectation around sustainability and our role in doing that. And so... If you couple the consumer sentiment, the, the core consumer that, that we really want to communicate and resonate with, having that passion, the fact that we have this history of commitment and achievement in this space, the organizational structure we have and the, the specificity of our targets, that cocktail of variables has really created momentum within the organization. I think the the challenges in our space are always speed and scale. We're a really big company. We make a lot of products. The challenges in the material space and, and even in the extended supply chain are real. They're not trivial. Those goals are not easy to achieve. And so the challenges for us become, can you find solutions that are impactful at scale and can you scale them fast enough? So that will always be a challenge, I think, for any company of our size. But again, having the innovation engine that we have is a real advantage.
1: So I'm going to shift gears for a second here because clearly what you guys are doing is very impressive. It's it's exciting and you've got a logic and you've got a structure and you've got all of that. Times are changing. There's some difficulty happening. You've had COVID. I mean, I remember the start of COVID. We all wondered, would sustainability take a back seat because of the urgency? Now we've got Ukraine. We've got geopolitical factors that are complicating things. Do you think sustainability will take a short-term hit? Uh, whilst we deal with the current crisis and, or do you think that it's such a big, powerful force? I mean, look at the UN, you know, report that was just published. There is, there are alarm bells ringing. I mean, they can't be any louder.
0: Right. Right. It's a great question. And I've been asked that question a lot because sure, when you have a, a crisis right in front of you, you have a tendency to shift your focus to solving that particular crisis at the moment. I can say definitively that it remained a strategic priority for us d- during that period. And again, part of it's just because we've been on this journey for so long. So it's not something that we're going to go back. We've got a distraction in front of us. We're going to set it aside. That, that's just not really how we operate. And I'm fortunate that our CEO, John Donahoe, has been a really vocal supporter of sustainability since the moment he took his role two-ish years ago. We have had a governance structure at the board level that oversees corporate responsibility and sustainability that's been in place for at least 20 years, if not longer. So it's really institutionalized now. It's not something that we would ever back away from, part, partly because it's just part of our DNA as a what I would call a purpose-led company. And and, and partly because it's the right thing to do, right? That That you don't step away from those things that are meaningful to your footprint as a company, to your role in society and to your consumers.
1: What you could argue as well, that this could actually be great for sustainability. We need to have less reliance on fossil fuels. We need to be more creative. And like what you've done with this hippie shoe of yours, that there will be solutions. There will be solutions that are, that will probably help with the circular supply chain. And so you could argue that in essence, I think maybe uh, necessity is the mother of invention, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what the designers will tell you, the folks in innovation or even the folks that just generally design in what we would call inline product that aren't advanced innovation, they like those constraints. They want to be boxed in a little bit because it forces them to be creative. And and I think the ones that have the, the luxury of working on sustainability in the innovation space I completely would agree with you. Hey, look, we, we get to tackle some of the biggest problems on the planet, and and we have the the strength and creativity of a brand like Nike to support us, and we get to go out and play with things like putting uh, waste scraps in a shoe or evaluating alternative leathers made from mushrooms or pineapples. I, I think that the 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 times when they are like these bring out some of the best of certainly of our teams for sure and and I I mean the area that gives me the most energy is when I hang out with the innovation teams because they're the ones that are really coming up with the cool ideas
1: and and you all have quite a lot of cool ideas that's for sure so Let me ask you this. What advice would you give to our audience, which is made up of senior supply chain executives who are struggling with the day-to-day world that they live in and balancing out their best will and intention to try to embed sustainability deep within their organizations? What's worked for you? What advice would you give?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think you always have to find the intersection of incentive. You have to find where as a sustainability leader alongside your colleague who may be the chief supply chain officer, what what are the things that you wanna work on together that serve both of your needs? So one of my colleagues is our chief supply chain officer. And when we started this embedded offense, he and I were talking through like, okay, how do we start to in- integrate it from a performance management standpoint? And having the backdrop of those commitments externally, those targets that are quantifiable and the deputized organization is a really important foundation. But assuming that you're able to achieve that, you need to make it real. And so when he and I go to our boss, who's the COO, and, and share where we are month to month in, in operations performance, He will share where we are on cost per unit, where we are on delivery performance, all of the things that are, are of course, really important to a supply chain executive. But he also articulates where we are on carbon footprint from inbound and outbound freight because he knows that's his organization's contribution to us achieving those targets. So that's nirvana, that you would have a colleague like that embrace that level of accountability and own it as their own. Not everybody's at that point of maturity. Obviously, it's taken us a couple decades to get to that point and and it's hard work for sure. But I think you have to treat it as co-equal with your other operational indicators. If you're committed to lowering your carbon footprint, great. Do the data and analytics that it takes to determine what exactly that requires, what the, the major functions of the company contribute to doing that, and then have those leaders of those areas own their part of it.
1: No, I love the embedded offense. I really do. I've got to say that that if I take one thing away from this podcast, it's going to be the idea of the embedded offense. I we you know we run events about operationalizing sustainability. It seems to be like the one big thing that's stopping people from actually walking the walk. There's a lot of talk, but walking the walk. So would you say that's that plus having a mandate from the top and the passion from within are some of the key secret ingredients to delivering this strategy?
0: I I do. And I think the one thing I'd add in there is having really quantifiable um, specific metrics that you're trying to achieve. If you have that embedded offense, you have the leadership from the top. And I would pair not only the the spiritual support from the the CEO suite, but that governance embedded in in your overall company structure, whether it's at the board level or or beyond those that you're right. Those are the cocktail that make up success, I believe. Now, again, I don't want to paint with broad strokes and say that this is easy work. It's really complicated. And I think one of the things that we haven't talked about that becomes increasingly important, even for a company the size of Nike, is understanding that some of the levers that help you achieve those goals are beyond your control and require you to collaborate outside of your industry, sometimes even with your direct competitors. And I'll give you an example that is, has been really rewarding to kind of watch come to fruition. Vietnam is one of the bigger sourcing countries that we have. Having spent three years there myself, I, I know that environment well. One of the things that will help us achieve our science-based targets is being able to have our factory partners in those places use renewable energy to power their operations. They've done things around efficiency, they've divested of coal-fired boilers to create their heat, et cetera. But really, the grids that power those factories' operations need to start to become more renewable. we We developed a partnership with USAID as well as some other companies who have large manufacturing footprints there, electronics, other apparel companies, even more adjacent industries like beverage manufacturing, and signal to the government there that this is something that we all collectively wanted, more access for our operations to be fueled by renewable energy. And so I think that within the scope of your organization, you articulated the really important variables very, very well. But I think that willingness to collaborate pre-competitively with the folks that you go toe-to-toe with every day in your competitive space and then make your aperture even a little bit wider so that you, pr- you bring that collective momentum to those bigger, more complex problems will be really important as well.
1: Are you hopeful for, for the future? Yeah, I am.
0: I, th- there's a lot in front of us. Every time one of those IPCC reports come out, you read it and you just go, geez, this is monumental. But the thing about that IPCC report, which I thought was really interesting, was that they highlight, hey, we've made some progress. It's not all doom and gloom. And I think what I see that gives me hope is that, you know, if I look at my kids, but I have three teenagers, all of whom play sports, two of whom play a fall sport, which in Oregon means that they're practicing in starting in August outside. And for two or three summers in a row, we've had either record heat or smoke from forest fires just socked into the Portland metro area. And having grown up here, that nothing that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And so they're experiencing the effects of climate change really directly. And the effects of climate change on their ability to do sport, which is exactly what we care about as a brand. What gives me hope is the fact that they recognize that this is a problem, right? And they're changing their own behavior. Even as the the child of a a Nike executive, they recognize that they have a role to play. I joke, my favorite anecdote about my oldest daughter, who's a senior in high school, is that her, her favorite fit is to go to Goodwill, find something, usually 90s era, something I would have worn when I was in college.
1: You mean old. Woo, 90s era.
0: Decades. Um, And with their Air Force Ones. And so you see the consumer behavior showing up, even in my own household, and and just a different mentality on what role that they can play. And I think that's really inspiring.
1: Well, you've left us with quite a lot to consider. I want to thank you for being here and sharing your story. I want to thank you for letting us know about the hippie shoes, because I will be looking them up. And, but all seriousness, a great job. It's really fantastic to be talking to someone who's leading the way in some impactful change. So thank you for that.
0: Well, thanks Marie, it was really fun to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, as we say at Nike, there is no finish line, right? As optimistic as I am, the competitive spirit in me and, and certainly the competitive spirit that I've gotten working for Nike for as long as I have, makes me feel like there's always more work to do. So I'm energized. It's a really fun and energizing space to be in. And I'm looking forward to what comes next.
1: On that note, thanks so much, Noel, and for those of you listening, we'll catch you at the next one. Thank you.